and welcome back to yes. the podcast. Hey, Jen, how's it going? Hey, Maris. I love, um, I'm so happy to be here, and I love the change of seasons that we go through. Yeah. We don't officially mark our podcast with seasons, but right. I, I always do feel like after our Boxing Day episode, which was so much fun, once again, thank you for yeah. doing that. So much fun. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet and you need something cozy, I I absolutely recommend it of just course. for fun just right? for fun but i always do feel like that's sort of like the end and then we're in a new cycle so i i'm here i'm ready i'm excited that our listeners are with us and i yeah. can't wait to see what this year 2024 brings us and where we are <laughs> right now um you might as well just tell them i mean it was it zero out is it's it frigid zero? it's yes. like zero we're actually recording earlier in the day than we had planned just because it is that cold in the weather you know, and this is cold. I've never lived, you have, I have not mm -hmm. ever lived in a place where it was a warmer climate. Right. I've lived my whole life in places that have winter mm -hmm. and pretty severe winters mm -hmm. at times. But this is that kind of cold. I think I had texted you. I said, this is when it just gets inconvenient. Right. And it takes a lot to get me to that place. Yes. I've got a pretty high winter tolerance and I actually really like winter. Right. You know what happened this morning? I just remembered um, I woke up early because... Boo the pod dog just needed to go outside. Oh, boo. And so I was like, okay, let me get you out. And I was washing my hands and went to take him out and closed the back door. And my fingers stuck to the oh. door handle because they were damp. Yeah. Yep. The doorknob. Yeah. Um, yep. Did you get frosty eyelashes? For a, for a second there, I was kind of reenacting a Christmas story in my mind, like the tongue oh, on the flagpole. I'm like, ah. Yes. But it was, it was fine. Yes, um, it is. But it is, it is that sort of bitter, bitter cold. We've got, I think that what was the polar vortex collapse or whatever that was yeah. originally predicted to, to hit our friends in Europe. Oh, wow. And was going to be hitting London, but it ended up swinging towards North America instead. So, yeah. Yeah. So we had planned, or I had planned anyway, the topic for tonight today and okay. that is a um it was to be a very cozy like oh. intro to the year okay and um was to be, <laughs> it was I to caught be. that mare yes yes <laughs> uh, but right here in my hands Aww. i have something it looks um, so cozy it's very cute you might notice the oh, foot yes there very is the much so. Uh, so is, Our is, dear, it, is it the British Rail symbol? It, I'm having it, a hard time it's seeing. Herod's. It's oh, it's Herod's. H, H of Herod's. <laughs> Do you know what it looked like? It looked like on the tube map where you yeah. get, because uh, I saw it on the side. I thought it was the British Rail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, last night, our dear friend, um, Holly, came over mm -hmm. for dinner. Friend of the podcast, Holly. Oh, dear friend of the podcast. And um, she is going through the hard work of cleaning out a home of an elderly relative mm -hmm. and getting it ready for sale. Um, and she said, hey, I brought you something. <laughs> and she brought me this adorable bear from Harrods. It is so cute. It is. It's got a little red sweater on. It's got a, uh, a scarf. And I just looked at her and my mouth dropped open. And I said, on any other day in my life, I would say, thank you. And I would treasure it. But Holly, <laughs> tomorrow... I'm recording an episode called Bears of London. Oh, my gosh. And so you gave this to me right when I needed it. It's yes. <laughs> so we're talking about Bears of London and Britain. Oh. And uh, I... And Holly had no clue. She had no clue. She's wow. like, you're kidding me. Like, uh, So I have a little sp little uh, mascot for us Well, this is today. a little bear of destiny. Yes. I love it. And it looks like it's been well-loved. Yes. He's got a little H on his foot for Herod's and just, um, and and you will recognize him, I think, as we go okay. through our, our time well, together. I can't wait. But though, you've already given me a cliffhanger yeah, here. Yeah. So I was Because it does. I mean, this little guy looks cozy. So yes. what's... And I was thinking that there are a couple of really famous bears associated with London. Yes. But then I thought, you know, as we do, we'll start asking questions like, were there ever real bears mm -hmm. in Britain? And, you know, let's learn mm -hmm. about all the bears. <laughs> and that's where it started getting a little, a little rough at times. Mm. Um, you know, there were some heavy topics. And I just will say there will be a few references to animal cruelty okay. and war, but I will uh, not go into any explicit detail. Okay. So just a little warning okay. there. Let's get going. Oh, I, I, you, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> As I said, a couple of very famous fictional bears oh, yes. have spent significant parts of their life in London. Uh, one moved from the darkest Peru, and the other one emigrated from Canada. So a couple mm -hmm. of immigrants. Yes, but thousands of years ago, there actually were real bears in Britain. 
the Wildlife Trust estimates that about 7,000 years ago, there were maybe 13,000 bears in Britain, which I mean, I don't know, no, but that sounded like a lot to it, me. Well, considering the size of the aisle and um, yes, and especially I don't associate actual bears with yeah, the British Isles. Exactly. You know, and so uh, right now at the University of Nottingham. Did you a, say it was just within England or uh, no, with Britain? Just Britain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a professor, Hannah O'Regan, who is really doing the first comprehensive study of all of this. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting um, to read about 85 archaeological sites that she's studying right now uh, for evidence of bear presence and when they were there. Um, and this isn't about that, but I will link to her notes and some videos because I just found it really interesting. I thought other people might. Um, most archaeologists believe that bears died out from the British landscape around the Neolithic to Bronze Age. So people start farming, their mm. habitat becomes, you know, less and agrarian societies are forming and their habitat is diminished. Um, Mm -hmm. There is one single bone found in the Yorkshire Dales that makes some people wonder whether there might've been bears in the, even the early medieval period, but were they native? Did they come with the Roman? You know, there's so many questions. Anyway, it's interesting. No bears for thousands of years. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, never yeah. thought about that before. That's fascinating. Kind of interesting. So, there is this kind of ancient piece of it, and uh, they're doing some carbon dating. But the first kind of recorded history is in the medieval period, in the, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was 1252. Um, we're thinking about the menagerie at the Tower of London, which I don't want to go too far into because we may decide to mm-hmm. do a, uh, an sure. episode sometime. But just the gist of it is that there were once many exotic animals housed at the Tower of London, mostly gifts from rulers of other countries. Mm-hmm. And oh, how wonderful to have these exotic animals. Mm-hmm. Um, among these beasts was a gift to King Henry III mm-hmm. from King Haakon IV of Norway. It was described as a pale bear, a white bear. Let's go ahead and infer a polar bear. Mm-hmm. Um And the bear, sadly, it was kept chained up, you know, Mm -hmm. muzzled. But the kind of interesting, cool thing is that every day the keepers led him from his pen at the tower and took him to the Thames for a swim and a hunt. So he could, like, go fishing and splash around in the Thames. That is wow, just a picture of that. Just picture a polar bear just splashing around, grabbing fish, and all the people who must have probably lined up. I mean, around the sides, I would have thought. Could you imagine today? Everybody be there waiting to gram it, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) Pose a selfie with it. (laughs) So, we have this little vignette from that medieval period. Let's go ahead to more of the Tudor Renaissance era. Um, and, and of course, now we are not talking about wild or bears in the wild. And I hesitate to call them tame or domesticated. I guess I'll just call them not wild. How so about? in captivity. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, and and at this point, uh, especially during that Tudor era, bears are an entertainment. Mm. Baiting. Mm. Oh. We've, I think we may have spoken Bear about it once. Baiting did come up. Wasn't yeah, it the I Victorians? Don't remember exactly what it, yeah, maybe. I, I'm not uh. sure. I just remember hearing about it once, but I really took one for the team and delved into oh, baiting. Um, so it's pitting one animal against another yes. in a fight, usually to the death. Um, it's blood sport. And it was big business during mm-hmm. the Tudor era. So, uh, so many sources I read like refer to Southwark, like the South Bank of the Thames. Um, you've got the Globe Theater, you've got the Clink Prison, and you've got lots and lots and lots of baiting arenas. Mm. Uh, you can see them on old maps. And speaking of the um, of the Globe Theater, though, I thought of Shakespeare's uh, famous stage direction from A Winter's Tale uh, that is exit pursued by bear. <laughs> it's just interesting yes. to me that he was next to a bear baiting arena. Um, but, I'm assuming all those arenas, these were air, places where wagers are placed yes, and such. Yes, yes, okay. yes. There's admission. There's, um, yeah, they're wagering on, like, cockfights. There's mm-hmm. rat baiting, badger baiting. Rat baiting. Yeah, gross. Um, mm-hmm. Bull baiting. They So they would, like, whip up some dogs and then let a, a, a 
cow in, maybe oh, a bull, uh, or they would strap an animal like a, a, a monkey on the back of a horse and let the dogs in. It was just oh. horrible. That's as gross as it's going to get. I'm okay. not going to do anything yeah. more than that. Um, but they would call them bear pits or bear gardens. <laughs> Euphemism. <laughs> and they gave them names that sound like today's wrestlers, like Harry Hunks and Blind Bess are going to go at it, you know. And, oh, I mean, I'm, I will save you the grizzly descriptions. However, oh, grizzly. In, for <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> for historical accuracy, though, I will provide... Uh, links in the show notes for anyone okay. who's like, well, what is she talking about? <laughs> yes. um, and you said betting. It, it is important to know that this was not illegal. Um, it wasn't in any way underground. Like I, every once in a while you hear something about cockfighting, you know, mm -hmm. that's some underground yes, weird. Even um, today. Yeah. Um, it was accepted and even, dare I say, enjoyed by people like King Henry VIII, Queen Elizabeth. They went and their entourage came along. So this um, entertainment crosses class. Yes, it and does. And gender. And yeah, fascinating because Parliament even tried to curtail this blood sport on Sundays, and it was overruled by the Queen herself. So, um, so I started wondering, I wonder how, I know that doesn't happen anymore. I wonder how it came to an end. Like, was there some crusader? Yes. Was there somebody who tried to make, People realize that this is cruelty toward, you know, vulnerable animals. None of that. Um, it was, who do we have to thank? Oliver, May you? Oliver Cromwell. Good oh. guess. Oliver Cromwell, because he stopped all entertainment. Oh, that's right. He did. Yes, <laughs> so this makes sense. all plays were stopped. And with that, uh, so was our baiting. Um, people tried to get it back together, kind of get the gang back together after the Cromwell era. And it didn't really come. Of course, then we had, as you well know, more than anyone, uh, there was a fire yeah, <laughs> and, yes, there was. and there was a plague and all mm -hmm. that. So entertainment, it just never really came back after that. But well, there is, I'm assuming maybe cultural norms varied. They are starting to vary after a while. I mean, it's the long haul, right? Yes. Um, you know, but there is still a, little alley in Southwark. You can see the sign that says, you know, Bear, I think it's called Bear Gardens, Bear Gardens Alley. Um, but it was formally outlawed in 1835. Um, okay. So you know, just it's still on the books. It's not really practiced, but it was formally outlawed. 1835, we know that that is, what, 10 years before the Victorians got here. They come. Here they come. <laughs> They're right around the corner. And they will not be kept from their curiosities, shall we say. Of course they won't. We know. There will be, there will be circuses. Yes. Um, there will be music halls. Oh, you know, roll up, roll up in Hackney. Ten shillings to anyone who can throw a bear in a wrestling match. That kind of thing. That did not end well. I'm just going to give us a little spoiler. Okay. <laughs> not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> there were zoos. Oh, and, you know, no episode about bears in London would be complete without a mention of Old Martin, uh, gifted to George III uh, from the Hudson's Bay Company in 1811. Old Martin was indeed a grizzly and one of the very last residents in that tower menagerie. And like mm. you said, attitudes are changing. And even King George himself was said to, was thought to have said uh, something like, couldn't they have given me something more practical? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, this this company, could they give me some socks or a tie or mm -hmm. <laughs> like that? And so uh, the last of the menagerie was moved to the ZSL, the Zoological Society of London, Regent's Park, mm -hmm. uh, a zoo that's still there today. Yes. Though I don't recall seeing any bears when I was just there this summer. Good point. Good point. There are. I was scouring their website. I did not find any currently there. I do not recall seeing any polar or otherwise. Right. I don't recall any. Um. So yeah, we're through the Victorians. Um. The next big kind of you know blip of bear was 1902, where there's the cuddly new invention, or you know toy called the teddy bear. Now Germany and the USA both kind of claim mm -hmm. credit for that. Um, but very soon after its invention, uh, it was being, bears were being manufactured in London by the J.K. Farnell Toy Company. And in 1914, 
the Great War. Great Britain joins the First World War. And these Farnell teddy bears, uh, able to fit in one hand, like the one I'm holding right now, um, were sent along with soldiers. Um, it was a very popular thing to do. They were small. They could tuck into a pocket. They could tuck Aww. into a rucksack. Yeah. And they would be maybe a good luck charm or certainly a, a visual reminder that people at home care about them. Sure. Um, and I do hope it brought some measure of comfort. Um, yeah. I started to wonder about the soldiers, and I went down a, a little um, research alley. The BBC reported that as many as a quarter of a million British troops in the First World War were under the age of 18. And so the image mm. of these young guys wow. getting a teddy bear was um, just very, mm. uh, you know, just very visual in my mind anyway. Yes. Um, remember yes. how we were going to have fun with it? <laughs> yeah. That was, <laughs> wow. Cute, cuddly. But, you know, I just wanted to give a quick introduction and now I really want to get into two very famous bears um, and their their fascinating backstories. So I know I've taken a little sobering turn in, yes, in this in this part right. of the episode, but I want to take a break, even though it's okay. early in. That's okay. And, I think we uh, might need one. Kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a reset. Okay. Uh, so let's let's do that, shall we? Let's do it. Back. <laughs> well, this was, do you mind if I tell the listeners a little bit about how this came together? Go for it. So Mayor says, are you up for a cocktail? Because we're, I mean, it's not like we're recording early in the morning, but we are recording a bit, you know, before the evening meal type thing. And I said, well, yes, I think that sounds fabulous. So the next thing I know, Mayor's is like going around her kitchen and assembling, like, does this sound good? Does what about this? Is this okay? Like, and you just started concocting a bunch of things, and we're currently drinking. It's very delightful and very mellow. It's also sort of the color of some famous bears that I know from London. Right. So I don't know if that was planned, but I'm not even sure what you all stirred into this. All I know is friend of the podcast, Holly, who made a delivery of bears, also delivered an enormous shoebox full of little bottles of gin and tonics. Yes, I think we talked about it in a a recent episode about her wanting to bring this huge thing of gin and tonic back from London when we went last year. (laughs) It wouldn't fit into her suitcase. So this year she tried to recreate it and it showed up on my doorstep on Christmas Eve. So, And not only that, but another part of this cocktail is also homemade by... Holly and her sister Erica, who made limoncello, which I threw into this drink. So let me tell you, the name of this drink is the Pooh and Paddington. And it's the color yes. of so Pooh in particular. What does, what does Winnie the Pooh love more than anything? He, he loves honey. honey. So I made a simple syrup out of honey. And then I took some marmalade of because course. of Paddington and kind of stirred it all up and strained it and threw in some limoncello and some gin. And I t- tried it on my friend, Jen, and <laughs> said, do you think it needs tonic? She's like, no, straight alcohol mm-hmm. is just great. <laughs> you know, I, which is usually – and like I said, it's so funny because – you know, I haven't had a cocktail in quite a while, but yeah, you know, we sound as if on the podcast that's all we do, but no. it is delightful. Right. Um, but this is really good. It, yeah. It's perfect. It's warming me up. It's coating my throat. It's delightful. Definitely. The Pooh and Paddington. I'll try and figure out the instructions <laughs> yes. and put them in. But it's please, like, use it's like when you the get the, way. when you make something, you know, something your grandma made. How do you make it? I just eyeball it and it's all this. That's literally sort of what you were doing. Yes. Like wa- opening up the fridge door and tossing things in, but it worked. Right. And it's, you're, you must have this mixology genius within yeah. well, because it Oh, thank you. Works. So, Mixologist yes. savant. Thank you. But I'll be really interested to see in the show notes how you typed this up because I watched it get assembled <laughs> and it was literally opening up cabinet doors and fridge doors, and, and but it turned out just beautifully. Well, thanks again to Holly who gave us the bear yesterday and uh, the 
portions of this cocktail. Yes. So thanks all the good that. juju to Holly in this episode. <laughs> well, let's get back over to I, our episode. Charlie. I cannot wait to see where we're going with this. We left off at the Great War. Yes, we did. We're sending those guys off. They have a, a little bear just about the size of the one and probably from Harrods, like, like mm-hmm. the one that Holly gave us. Uh, let me tell you about one of those soldiers. Okay, please. He grew up the son of a headmaster mm-hmm. in a supportive intellectual family, always given the freedom to explore. And he and his brother love to romp through nature and have Mm -hmm. adventures. He won a scholarship to the Westminster School and then another to Cambridge University. Hmm. He entered on a mathematics scholarship, but while there, (laughs) he became enamored of writing. They had many campus newspapers, magazines, and he was known for his kind of light verse and uh, parodies, satire that went into these school publications. After graduating, he was off to London. He was going to try to be a freelance writer, hmm. like many before him and since. And, you know, he actually was moderately successful. He was publishing some pieces in, like, Punch and Vanity Fair. Actually wrote a novel that got published to little fanfare, but he accomplished that. And by the time he was 24, he was the assist- an assistant editor at Punch. Oh, and for those of you who don't know Punch, that's a legendary uh, literary magazine that is known for its humor, satire. Uh, oh, founded by one of our, Vict- our Victorian man on the street, Henry exactly. Mayhew. You already mentioned that's him. Right. I don't know what our number is up to how many episodes we've mentioned henry mayhew in but we love you he and dickens the totals are probably they're the leaders there you go (laughs) so all of this takes us to the year 1914 okay he's been married a year when war breaks out on the continent and he's a pacifist by nature alan is his name is alan okay but nevertheless he enlists and he's sent to france And he ends up at the very worst place at the very worst time. Have you heard of the Battle of the Soma? No. S-O-M-M-E. Neither had I, and I can't believe I hadn't. Maybe because it's over 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. But the first day of this battle is the most deadly in military history, according to the Imperial War Museum. I like to give exact numbers when I'm talking about human beings who sacrifice themselves. So that first day, 57,470 British casualties, including 19,240 British young men who lost their lives. Wow. So injuries and and loss of life. In one day. And we're remembering that 250,000 of those are kids, right? Um, Yes. There's one article that I read that said that the – Life expectancy of these kids was um, like six weeks because the trench warfare. Uh, uh, total losses from both sides over this one battle, the Battle of the Soma, would be over one million casualties with 300,000 deaths. That's almost one unimaginable. battle. So here's this pacifist in the middle of this. And of this just harrowing experience, Alan would later write that he had witnessed what he called a lunacy which would shame the madhouse. He left this, quote, nightmare of mental and moral degradation two years later, November 1916. He was invalided out due to trench fever, which I wondered if that was a mental thing. I'd never Mm -hmm. heard of trench fever. It's actually, no, it's a bacterial disease spread by the lice of the trench. Mm. I mean, not surprisingly, he was also at at a mental breaking point. Um, Mm -hmm. And throughout his life, his PTSD would be manifested in kind of a remoteness or aloofness or Mm -hmm. distancing of himself. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has it, I guess, manifest in different ways. And that was Mm -hmm. his. So anyway, Alan was sent back to England. He'd spend the rest of the war as a signaling officer on the Isle of Wight. Okay. And his wife, his young wife, they were just married a year when they when he left, um, Daphne, she joined him there. So maybe that gave him some stability and care. Um, and later, even though he had been a, a, a pacifist, he 
said later he did not regret his time there because he felt like he could tell the story, you know, mm-hmm. and he could tell it based on what he really experienced mm-hmm. and not reporting someone else's experiences. Well, in 1920, Alan and the war's over now. Alan and Daphne have a son. Everybody called him Billy, but that wasn't his name. They could not agree on a name. (laughs) I'm not sure about Daphne. She was kind of a piece of work. But Alan wanted to name the boy Christopher. Mm -hmm. And that's what they named him. Daphne gave him his middle name, which was Robin. (gasps) Uh, But everybody called him Billy. And the boy himself, as he learned to talk, called himself Billy Moon. Because his last name was very difficult for a young child to pronounce, Milne. Uh, Billy Moon is Christopher Robin Milne. Aww. And uh, for his first birthday, Billy received a very special present. It was a Farnell teddy bear from Harrods, purchased at Harrods. Um, Farnell of the World War One, um, you know, bear and... Um, and our bear here that I'm looking at right now. Uh, anyway, Billy called his bear Edward Bear. Okay. We're going to just leave them there. Let's leave Billy and his bear. Because you have to meet Henry. Oh, yes. Harry, sorry, Harry. Harry, Harry Colburn. Harry Colburn, Englishman turned Canadian. And when he moved to Canada, man, he was all in on it. Um, he was a veterinarian, I guess somewhat reluctantly turned a soldier. Uh, In 1914, Harry went to war, leaving behind his adopted town of Winnipeg Mm -hmm. on a train. It was bound for Quebec, and they would have some basic training there, and then they would go overseas to Britain for more training before going to the front. Um, At a stop on this train ride from Winnipeg to Quebec, he um, it's in White River, Ontario. You know, you get out, you stretch your legs, maybe you get something to eat, maybe you, you know, send a letter or whatever you do. Mm-hmm. But he met up with a hunter who had killed a black bear. And the young cub was still alive. Now, I don't know a lot about Harry's decision-making progress, but what I do know is that he kept a journal, mm-hmm. which I'll share in the show notes. And on this day, he says, bought cub at White River. <laughs> Paid $20. Wow. I don't know what he thought he was going to do. But remember, he's already a veterinarian. So he saves this little bear cub and names it after his adopted hometown of Winnipeg. Well, and $20 had to be a pretty decent chunk of change in that time. It sounded like, right? 1914? Yeah. Seems like, yeah, so he names it Winnipeg, or Winnie for short. (gasps) I didn't make the connection. (laughs) So... He must have been quite the um, persuader because somehow he gets back on the train, (laughs) this bear cub. He shows up to basic training and they let him keep it. And it becomes this. (laughs) It was a different time. (laughs) And it was a veterinarian's regiment. Okay. So interesting. it it kind of becomes their their mascot. Veterinarian's regiment. Yes, they're going to go and work for the cavalry. And oh, duh. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes, I'm thinking. No tanks. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So. Thank so, you for that context. Because right. I. It's hard to Just imagine. a brain poof well, there. And just a little side note for listeners, if you are a fan at all of All Creatures Great and Small, you know that the character Siegfried Farden was also a veterinarian in a cavalry regiment during the Great War. Anyway, uh, he even lets uh, he's allowed to go across the sea in the in the ship with this bear. Uh, they all end up in Salisbury, England, for some mm-hmm. training. Um, but then, when it's time to go to France, Winnie will be left behind, and mm-hmm. the London Zoo will take care of him. Aww. They say, and that's actually where uh, that move will become permanent in okay. time. So, uh, right here in my hand, next to our adorable. Uh, little bear. I have my childhood copy of Winnie the Pooh. And at the very beginning of the introduction, some um, editions don't have this introduction. I'd like to share something here that might give us some context. Okay. Um, Let me find it right. You can't be in London for long without going to the zoo. Hey, you were there with your Family just last summer, right? Yes, and we hadn't been there long when we went to the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) There are some people 
who begin the zoo at the beginning, marked way in, Mm -hmm. and walk as quickly as they can past every cage until they get to the one called way out. But the nicest people (laughs) go straight to the animal that they love the most, and they stay there. And so when Christopher Robin goes to the zoo, he goes to where the bears are, and he whispers something to the third keeper from the left, and the doors are unlocked. And we wander through the dark passages and up steep stairs until at last we come to the special cage. And the cage is opened and out trots something brown and furry. And with a happy cry of, oh, bear, Christopher Robin rushes into its arms. Now, this bear's name is Winnie, which shows what a good name for bears it is. And I think I'll stop right there to tell you that this is a true story. And there are photographs of Christopher Robin and letting in the bear's cage with him. And I guess other kids, this was just such a mellow bear that kids could be let into the cage with it. Um, Interesting. So uh, Billy Moon liked the name Winnie so much that his own bear, Edward Bear, is also called Winnie the Pooh. And, um, you know, all parents tell their child bedtime stories, and often you use the things in your surroundings. Uh, But if you have a writer for a father, I think that that's all just leveled up. And so... Um, Young Billy Moon would hear stories about a boy named Christopher Robin, and he adventured around a place called the Hundred Acre Wood with Winnie the Pooh and and the other toys on the shelf, like Piglet and Eeyore and Kanga and Roo and Tigger. Now, Alan uh, had written a children's poetry book, which I also own, called When We Were Very Young. The London Evening News liked it so much, they, they asked him to write a story for the Christmas 1925 edition of their magazine. And Pooh and Friends, that was their first appearance in print. Oh. The very next year, Winnie the Pooh was published. That'll take us to 1926. Now, you might say that's the birth of Winnie the Pooh. It's also the birth of a very young Queen Elizabeth. And I remember when we did our Lilibet episode, that on her first birthday, her dear beloved Uncle David, also known as King Edward VIII, gave her Winnie the Pooh for her birthday. And she grew up with that book. And I'm sure every other British child did too. Um, And I hardly have to say that it's one of the most beloved books of all time and one of the most profitable books, literary, commercial success, all of that. I could say all of that. But instead, I'd like to maybe land on this. Okay. Alan also known as A.A. Milne. He wrote another poetry book. He wrote a second, uh, House at Pooh Corner. And he was really tired of writing children's books. It's true. And he was having the long-lasting effects of the war. Um, And he was very tired of reading things like critiques that would say things like, it's almost like he was a real writer, you know? What I can tell you from his writings is that the work that Alan was most proud of was uh, a reflection that he wrote called Peace with Honor. And it's a pacifist title, though he did um, support the Second World War. Um, but, But we know anyone who's traveled through Britain knows the deep psychic scar left by the Great War. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every town that you walk into there has a monument uh with the names um and many of milne's generation that had been through similar experiences they became that rudderless uh, you know lost generation Mm -hmm. you know kind of giving up on a lot of things Mm -hmm. or or maybe you know going into the 1920s with this kind of eh, jaded jaded attitude uh but alan maybe just through a stuffed bear provided a parable uh, of healing through both time spent in nature and with friends about whom we care deeply. Mm-hmm. He kind of gave a little roadmap to to one possible way to deal with the trauma of that event. And now on to the final story of our roundup of bears. Oh, but first, what's that I hear? Please mind the gap between the train and the capital. 
underground. The underground. So if anyone listened to our Boxing Day episode, you mentioned something about the underground and what we want to try this year. I wonder, Jen, if you would give us a little um, little description. Of- I would love to because yeah. I'm so excited about it. And I'm prepping an episode currently right now around this very theme. But for this year, I was thinking, you know, we, you and I, we first met and it sort of started with our love of London transport, which is not something that we know a lot of people just adore as much as we do. And so, uh, but it's true. We both really have a thing for uh, TFL. And so the idea that I had, and this is what I'm working on with the next episode, is that we will choose a tube station. And as we know, there's hundreds to pick from. And then we'll focus on something in that area. What I like is the topic is going to be extremely flexible. For instance, some stations say Oxford Circus. Obviously, there's a lot going on at Oxford Circus. Other stations, you know, I don't know, Acton Town. You know, maybe there's, we don't know as much about it or, you know, West sure. Re- West Reslip. I, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But the point is you, you, you choose one and you see what's going on around there. Who's lived there? What events have happened? Uh, what sort of landmarks are there? What is there to do there? I think the possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. For the first episode that I'm going to do, and I'm not going to spoil it, I'm not going to say what came up, but I put every single station onto a wheel and you can spin the wheel. (laughs) And this is for real what I did Mm -hmm. and whichever station it landed on, that was the one I was going to start with. And if it had been bone dry, I would have skipped it, but it wasn't. And so for this particular one, I've just found a collection of events, people and things that have happened within this particular rough boundary Mm -hmm. that would surround this particular station so that's our theme but i'm super curious because we're talking about bears i just heard the tube which is going to accompany many of our episodes this year as we work with that story arc. many but not all so we still want to keep it'll be similar to our time machine yes exactly we still want to address topics that are are nipping at our ankles wanting to be told um and then you know the other idea is that we have a story or like Bears of London, and we bump into a station that has meaning for this episode, and then we visit it. So it's not randomly selected, but uh, we can still think about it. And oh, so I think I might have a feeling. <laughs> we're going to Paddington Station. Of course we're going to Paddington. And we all know why, right? Yes. right? So let me tell you a little bit that I learned about Paddington Station, and thank you for kind of the impetus to go and, yes. and find out. So it's... Uh, for those of you who don't know, Paddington Station kind of nestled in between Hyde Park and Marlebone and um, let's see, ba- Bayswater would be over there. Several lines go through Paddington Station. You've yes. got the Circle District, Metropolitan and City, for sure. I'm trying to think if anything else goes through Bakerloo. Paddington. Bakerloo. Bakerloo. Oh, yeah, obviously yep. Bakerloo. Um, so uh, it's actually situated near an ancient intersection of the northern and western roman roads so it's these ancient throughways i wondered about the name paddington it sounds so utterly british mm-hmm. uh so it first appears in print in the year 959 oh <laughs> we love our it's nice and history <laughs> uh, there actually was an Ang- anglo-saxon chieftain named padda P-A-D-D-A, as, as it appears there, uh, who had settled there. So he's a local landowner. And we know that the ton means like the town mm-hmm. of, which is all over Britain. So Paddington, it's Paddington's land, you know. Um, it's great to know that because Paddington is so iconic. Exactly. That yeah, you almost think, everyone, you'd now think of Paddington Bear. Right. Now we can think of an Anglo-Saxon chieftain. It. How about that? It and Roman that Rose. Station. It's, it's, it's an older feeling. I mean, it is an older yes, station, number yes, one. But you get that vibe at Paddington. It is not like a sleek Elizabeth line or even right. Jubilee line or even Piccadilly line type station. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just love that you know we have these markers and that's what we seek to do do with our yes. podcast, right? Yes. So we have the Roman roads, we have the Anglo-Saxon chieftain. And I will then never have... pass through Paddington the same again. <laughs> That's right. It uh, The current station opened in 1854. So that's 
what, three years after the great exhibition. Mm -hmm. And you will know that there's lots of glass in the mm -hmm. construction of Paddington Station, mm -hmm. inspired by the Crystal Palace yes. of the exhibition. It was designed by a civil and mechanical engineer named Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Mm -hmm. I know I had run across that name before. Yes. In fact, I thought it was a company. <laughs> like, I'm like, Kingdom. It's kind of like Condé Nast. And, yeah, exactly. Know. Brunei, Brunel, yes. <laughs> Isambar. I had no idea. But he's a real guy. Uh, and he was at the forefront of British engineering during the Industrial Revolution. Hmm. I mean, he was the one. He was into dockyards, steamships, bridges, tunnels, and, of course, uh, railroad in time as well. And he's done a few stations, Big I'm time. pretty yes. sure, yes. Yeah, as I've read about the tube over the years. Right. He was chief engineer of the Great Western Railway, mm -hmm. uh, which the big idea was to link London to places like the Midlands or, or Bristol mm -hmm. or Wales. And he dreamed that one day a Londoner could just go into Paddington Station and just purchase a, a ticket to New York. Like it, mm. it would all be on his, his forms of transport. You know, you would take the train to the mm -hmm. coast and then take one of his steamships across the ocean. Lovely. I mean, I would do it. Dream big. Why not? Sounds like fun to me. <laughs> um, as you said, tube lines available, Bakerloo, Circle District, Hammersmith and City. And we also now have high speed and rail service um, throughout Britain. The Heathrow Express is there and now the Elizabeth Line. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> spoiler, here we go. Hot off the press, the night uh, the 2023 statistics from the Office of Rail and Road are in. Oh, tell me. <laughs> Nerds like me live for this. Um, Feed it to me. Last year, through uh, entrances and exits of yes. Paddington Station, record-breaking 59.2 million. I mean, during... COVID, it was like 16 I million. Know. Like 59.2 million. This now has surpassed Waterloo Station. And why? Because of the Elizabeth line. That, that, that makes rail, sense. The, that makes the rail sense. is coming through there. It is amazing seeing how, you know, the, the Elizabeth line really has been a game changer oh, totally. on, on the underground, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And throughout, you know, Beyond the city limits, you know. Sorry, I'm trying not to nerd out too much. I know. About this. You can see. <laughs> did on, you see my my eyes are dancing? Yes. <laughs> Quick pop pop culture reference. Uh, Agatha Christie wrote a novel called The Four Fifty from Paddington, in which Elspeth McGillicuddy is going to visit her friend Jane Marple and witnesses a murder on a passing train. Mm. Um, and of course, the biggest pop culture reference is that it shares its name with a very special. Bear that I'm holding up right yes. now in the studio, a yellow schooner hat and a blue jacket. We have Paddington Bear. Let me first, before we get going, let me tell you about Michael, Michael Bond. Okay. Um, it's Christmas Eve, 1956. Michael Bond is a BBC cameraman. He wants to find just one more stocking stuffer for his wife. Quote, although I didn't realize it at the time, my coming across a small bear when I took shelter in Selfridge's toy department one snowy Christmas Eve was just such a million-to-one chance. Had there been two bears, I might have given them a passing glance, but I could hardly ignore one bear all by itself with Christmas coming on. He looked so forlorn. Um... Let's just think about that. Let me tell you about okay. Michael. I might cry, but Re go ahead. Okay, remember that 1926, it's a, Winnie the Pooh comes along. Yeah. Uh, Queen, future Queen Elizabeth is mm -hmm. born. And so is Michael. Oh, same yeah. age as the Queen. Same age as the Queen. At birth, he weighed 11 whopping pounds. His, oh, my goodness. His mother said never again, and he, he remained an only child. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> she grew up in Reading. <laughs> she probably couldn't handle it anymore. Right. Done. Wow. And done. Um, grew up in Reading. Um, Pass the in cocktail. A, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Loving, modest home filled with books what part of london do you know no i'm sorry reading oh reading sorry reading. okay oh so he was i was, uh, <laughs> I was two <laughs> the 11 pounds threw me off i apologize okay. reading Go ahead. Um, <laughs> oh not to mention the 
Pooh and Paddington cocktail, I'm sure. Yes, it's. Um, Michael was especially close to his father, mm-hmm. who he describes. We always want to shine a little spotlight on those loving, wonderful people. He describes as polite, humorous, and optimistic to an almost impractical degree. He said, Aww. my father was always had time to play in the park with me. I think my dad was exceptionally nice and thoughtful. You can't fake that kind of enthusiasm. Children always know. Mm. He describes his father as even like when they would go to the seaside <laughs> and they would put their feet in the water, his father would still have a hat on his head. So that like, what if I saw someone I knew I would have to tip my hat? To, like he was that kind of guy. Um so contrast this loving, wonderful, supportive home with his extremely strict Catholic school, which was chosen, quote, for the simple reason that mother liked the color of their blazers. I mean, they were purple. She didn't make many mistakes in life, but that was one of them. Oh, dear. He claimed bullying, brutal discipline, mm-hmm. and was more than happy to be asked to leave at the age of 14. His final report. What did he do? I know. I'd love to find (laughs) out. His final report stated that Michael had a quote distorted sense of humor. (laughs) Dare he? I wonder if that's ever going to come in handy in his lifetime. (laughs) Love him even more than I already did. (laughs) Right. So if he was born twenty six and he's fourteen when he gets kicked out, and he never goes back to school either. So uh, it's now nineteen forty. The war has begun. That soft war has started. Leaving school, he works as an office boy for a little while, and then he gets an opportunity for a training program. Mm -hmm. He's going to be a trainee engineer at BBC Radio in Reading. Wow, what an opportunity, right? Wow. And so he's going to work at the transmitter. And during that time, he survived a German bomb that hit the BBC building in Reading, killing 41. Oh, my goodness. Uh, At 18... He enlisted and spent most of the next four years as a driver and, of course, a wireless operator using his skills. But being at war during the downtime, he tried his hand at writing stories. He'd never done it before. Fierce, I'm so struck by both the similarities and differences between him and A.A. Yes. This is fascinating. Yes, Alan and Michael. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's – let me just take a moment to say um, – that when you go into researching any of our episodes, you don't know that you're going to find your way. But we've learned that our city yes. is going to provide for it us. It does. I'm like learning that. The stories the... are just yes. there waiting to be uncovered. Yes. And and the connections made like you just did. Like, you're, I'm making these connections. Um, so, uh, Michael, um, he's, he's going to try writing stories. And while stationed in Cairo... He wrote a wartime fictional story. It was published in um, London Opinion magazine, and he was shocked and pleased, such a young guy, to uh, be paid seven guineas, which would oh. be like 282 pounds today. Like, wow, that's big money Michael. for him. Yeah, well, and for the time period. <laughs> yes, yes. So after the war, he was able to get back into his engineering job at the BBC. And then along comes this new medium of television. And he again gets into this training program to be a cameraman. By the um, right person in the right place exactly. at the right time. So he's off to London to work at Pine Grove Studios, which the BBC owns. Mm-hmm. And for the next 20 years, he's going to work there. And he describes like being like up close and personal. He's running the cameras for heads of state, for ballet dancers, for all. Like he's there. Oh, it's just amazing. He kept writing the whole time. He kept that day job. I mean, even when he was a very successful writer, you got to keep that day job, right? So, and it was a great day job. But he was writing short stories and selling them, writing a few plays, things like that. And he gets married in 1950 to Brenda. They settle into a little Maida Vale flat. Oh, Maida Vale. (laughs) Your old stopping grounds. Um, It had one room and a Murphy bed, you know, like so many people's post war experiences. Um, and it was indeed uh, six years later, Christmas 1956, when he went looking for that little stocking stuffer for, for Brenda. And he brought it home. She loved it. The bear sat up on the mantle of their little made of ale flat. Um, and I guess I started wondering, when do our beloved toys, when do they really become real to us? Yes. And Michael wrote, with a bear, you immediately feel like you could talk to them. At least I do. <laughs> 
love him. <laughs> He's great. They name him Paddington after the nearest rail station. And I have to believe that that name alone shaped his personality. Yes. And, you know, you think of Paddington, you think of traveling. Is this bear a traveler? Where was mm-hmm. he from? Where is he going? You know, those questions come to mind with well, a name like that. And the nerd in me has to point out, if he's in Maida Vale, then he's on the Bakerloo line. Because <laughs> the Maida Vale <laughs> yes. stop, the Warwick Avenue stop, which would be the ones that were near probably his tube stops, I'm assuming, yeah. are on the Bakerloo. So he'd be passing through Paddington quite often. Right, right. And he was, yes. And um, so he starts to wonder about this bear called Paddington. Where was he going? And he started to write, of course. Now, London is and always has been a city of immigrants. And Michael had sincere affection for the people he knew and worked with, both in Reading and in London, who were immigrants, evacuees, refugees. Oh, he is our people. Yeah. I love yeah. this guy. And so he started to wonder if maybe this bear would have been from someplace else. Chapter one of his book, A Bear Called Paddington, the first chapter is entitled, Please Look After This Bear. And that was inspired by um, him remembering when he, he was younger and being at the rail stations during the war and seeing evacuee children mm-hmm. at the train station in Reading. He said they all had a label around their neck with their name and address and a little case or package containing all their treasured possessions. This really impacted him. And You're talking about kids who were evacuated from London, presumably, or Liverpool? Liverpool or, or international. international. He, he speaks very lovingly of people like from Hungary okay. and people that he knew, you know, in those formative years, sure. those teen and young adult years. You don't think about that. You know, we often stay within London, but that would make sense that someone in those areas outside the city, the impact. Right. Culturally. You'd see like you were a kid and here's all these other kids just a little bit younger than you or maybe your age. Yes. Because teens were also, you know, moving out of the city. And it tells you about the open-mindedness of young people. I love that. impressionable age. And and he looked at it as such a positive thing. Yes, yes. Even in the midst of war and destruction and displacement. For the rest of his life, it really would become kind of a cause of his. So the fact that he had this note on Paddington Mm -hmm. that said, please look after this bear. Oh, Oh, that Um, just changes the way I look at that completely. Exactly. It did to me too. Like, oh, yeah. I knew that that was a little tag on the bear, but I never put together the the refugee or evacuate um, of that. But uh, he wrote the first book in 10 days (laughs) and it was rejected by seven very sorry publishers (laughs) before it hit the shelves in 1958. Now in the books, the bear is found by the Brown family at the station that will become its name. Now we know Pooh Bear makes his home in the hundred acre wood. Mm -hmm even though the real Winnie had spent time in London. But Paddington, he is absolute Londoner because he goes home with the Brown family. They live on Notting Hill. He was known to be a bear of impeccable manners with plans that, despite his best intentions, often went awry. Uh, In Paddington, Michael definitely saw his father, this man of exemplary manners and little practicality. (laughs) Yes, that is Paddington. Uh, uh, Michael even said that during his life, he could count on Paddington to act as kind of a moral compass for himself. Like, what would Paddington do? And he had lots of fan mail saying, this bear changed my life. Michael struggled with depression, uh, wanted to take his life at one Mm. point, um, exhaustion. But Paddington kind kind of comforted him writing those stories. Kind of gave him a sense of comfort and kind of saw his way out. His wife and he divorced at one point. He does remarry at some point, but they literally and truly shared custody <gasps> of Paddington because he'd given him to her, but he had written the story. So they had to share the fair bag. You know, that was my Amicable. first thought, though, when you said that I could tell they were going to split up, which was a bit heartbreaking. Not that I think anybody should stay in a bad situation, but that. The fact that two grown adults shared custody right. of the and original amicably, you know, like kind of amicably. as a joke, almost like I need him right. for a couple of weeks. But that's you know, that, what a I love it. Yeah. 
Oh, Patty. Um, I'm looking at our little Paddington. And here's here. our little Paddington. Yes. Let me tell you some Paddington trivia. Here's a cool one. Okay, so when the Channel Tunnel was being mm-hmm. uh, built, blasted out. The tunnel. Um, the, so the British evacu- excavators are going mm-hmm. from one end and the French are going from the other. And when they meet. What happens? The first <laughs> object passed was a Paddington bear <gasps> from the British side to the French side. <laughs> Okay, now I'm never going to see the channel the same. Right? This makes me so happy. In 2014, a Paddington Trail offered people self-guided tours of the city to see about 50 Paddingtons. And they were all designed by celebrities and others, like some of our favorites, Stephen Fry, Michael Sheen, Emma <gasps> Watson, Julie Walters, oh John Hurt, Kate Moss, Liam Gallagher. Oh, my um, goodness. Guys, I'm going to link in our show notes to a, a photo array of all of these. <gasps> and maybe you can see which one you like well, best. And I'm still continuing my campaign for Michael Sheen as international treasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, he he and, and David, Dennett, of course. That's the bromance of the year. It I'm sorry. Is. <laughs> but go ahead. That's a whole other episode. Maybe I'll do that this year just for fun. No but go kidding. ahead. The Michael <laughs> Sheen, David Tennant bromance. <laughs> There might be a podcast in there. There's, there's one in my brain already. Right. Oh, and of course, pop culture reference. Who could forget oh. Paddington oh. having tea with the Queen for her Platinum Jubilee? I'm sorry. I, you know, I I, I can recognize Can't. the problematic aspects of the royal family. I, I, yes, but yes. I, I get it. I get it. Right. I, the classism, all that. Yes. But that moment, especially considering the fact that she passed, I, I I'm sorry. That that moment. Oh, I, in her face when she pulled the marmalade sandwich out the of her playful, bag. the twinkle eye. I mean, she was a kid again. She was. She was. She so was playful. months from the end of her life, right. and I mean, and Paddington himself. I, I'm sorry, oh, he's that like, mom. You know, I, I can't even hear. I it. was linking it in the show notes and started crying. Just I, watching it. So I can't. please watch it. And I tell you what, stay to the very end. If you do, you will see at the end Elizabeth tapping out the rhythm of "We Will Rock You" yes. with a cup and saucer. Yes. It is. The best. It was just such a fabulous moment in general, and it took on particular significance. But yes, I mean, as soon as you brought up panic, for those of us who always think of Elizabeth as kind of being stern and very business life, to oh. see her just being playful, it was just just well, lovely. And it's for one her, of those moments we're all human. You know what I mean? We all know Paddington. We know Winnie. We know, and it was just such a lovely, warm human moment in such a grand occasion that was so unexpected and yes everything about it yeah so we now we have these two fictional bears they're both immigrants yes they're both from authors who had been through war who had struggled with depression two bears who both celebrate kindness and friendship and courtesy and oh and what about the real bears that we started with? Oh, <laughs> I got to yeah. come back and yes, kind of bookend. That's right. As far as I can tell, and I have dug deep, I cannot find a living bear in London. You mentioned that there's none at the zoo that I, I know didn't of. See if any, any listeners zoo. know that there is a bear, bear in I London, I thought we covered the whole zoo, but I honestly don't recall seeing right? a They're bear not... enclosure of any sort. So, from time to time, topics of conservation and reintroduction of species mm-hmm. entered the public conversation. I mean, I'm stunned, like in the woods of Scotland or, right. you know, that right. there wouldn't be. So, right now, you, oh. You're almost like a segue. Oh. Uh, currently, the uh, Bristol <laughs> <I'm here> for. <laughs> the Bristol Zoo, mm-hmm. uh, the Bristol Zoo Project has incorporated a, an area called Bear Wood. Hmm. It's a safe habitat, and it's designed to mimic the environment of England in about 8,000 BC, which <gasps> is super exciting. That's neat. Um, and though bears have faced extinction in ancient times, mm-hmm. and Serious maltreatment in mm. the more modern uh, times. Um, yeah. We can still look at people of vision who right now are working and um, examining how to preserve wild species in, in sustainable ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess now that I think about it, please look after these bears. Yes. And people are. Mares, this was such an unexpected topic. 
And it went down paths that I would have never guessed. Something that really stands out to me, you know, in thinking as you were talking, I knew that Winnie the Pooh and that Paddington had been around for a very long time. I don't think I realized, especially with Pooh, exactly how long it had been. Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously it predates either of us and, you know, but... I think, and the whole time I'm thinking, what is it about these bears that crossing borders, political borders, yes. you know, cultural borders, right? all of these things. But I think it's because of all the things you just list, all the humanity, all the the aspects of their authors. And I think they've made all those relatable elements. Yes. You know, I yes. mean, Winnie the Pooh, I, I, local stores were selling plush not long ago. They had a line for charity of Winnie the Pooh. Yes. With Paddington, we very recently had Paddington movies right. released. Yes. Yeah. Um, Colin Firth. <laughs> all, yeah. <laughs> Another friend of the podcast. The We've seen, I mean, the, they've... They're relevant, right. and so I think it's that humanity. Exactly. That they, Friendship, yes. kindness, courtesy, those things don't go out of fashion, or we hope that they don't. And no. just to know that nothing, even as simple as, and as innocent as a little stuffed bear, is going to be touched by those markers, like, yes. like war. <laughs> well, and they represent so much more diversity than I really completely understood. I mean, I knew Paddington was an immigrant bear. I knew that from the story. I did not know as much about Winnie the Pooh's history, actually. That's a crazy story. In fact, I will, uh, the first time I heard this story about Winnie the Pooh uh, and his Canadian uh, upbringing Mm -hmm. was in a a children's book written, I think, by Colburn's great-granddaughter, and it won a Caldecott Award. Um, So I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It's called Finding Winnie, a nonfiction book about this story. Oh, I love it. Yeah, with photographs. It's great. Well, this was great. I I had no idea there was, had bears were completely vacant from the British Isle. Yeah. And... I've I've learned so much. This was, what a great start. Isn't it funny? I love that we start an episode thinking it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be something way different. I was getting worried. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really depressing. But then, uh, you know, I just have to trust in London and it'll see us through. You trust our city. I mean, going back to our very first episode, the Always Look for the Helpers, Mm -hmm. we're talking about some things that could have been very tragic and created PSD for people. But yet you find those people whose legacy endures and that's what our city gives to us. And that's what's beautiful about it. And that holds true today. Well, maybe, you know, we're heading into a new year. Maybe it's a good time to kind of reflect a little bit about about those very things, about friendship and courtesy and kindness and all that. And think about how how we can be inspired by these stories and carry it forward. Yes, especially as 2024, there's so much uncertainty around us. Yes. Uh, so many question marks as, you know, so many nations are entering into elections or probable elections, as right. is the case in Britain. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of instability, um, but it's not, there's, it's not like there's not precedent. So maybe we can find inspiration to conquer all of that through the things that we're we're talking about. Um, on a lighter note, listeners lo- would love to hear any of your connections to Paddington or to Pooh. Um, your stories that you have about them. Did you have a favorite uh, toy or story? <laughs> Is there a London bear I've left out. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, does anyone know how I can get a poo that is more like the original book illustrations and not the Disney films? I have been looking around for something like that. We actually, Mares, yeah. because I didn't know the extent of what we're talking yeah. about. I will I will show you and see if I can dig it out. I was gifted one Aww. that definitely does not look Disney-fied. Mm. It's the snout is is elongated. It's uh-huh. thinner in general. It's not quite as, you know, doesn't have quite the tummy and things that the <laughs> Disney one does. Um, and it was it was given to me uh, before the birth of my first child. Oh, how lovely! Someone had given um, another friend had gifted my other child with a book of very similar to yours, and that friend has since passed away. Aww. So that holds special meaning. Well. And speaking of friends, we just want to send our love out to Holly, too, and our gratitude yes. for uh, for drinks, for bears, and everything else she does for us and for everyone. Absolutely. Listeners, reach out to us with your stories. We know that uh, 
toys like this could really help trigger those memories fond or memories of comfort um, you can find us on the socials particularly at instagram and facebook at yesterday's london times podcast you can find us sometimes on twitter slash x when we feel like it <laughs> at ylt underscore pod you can find us on tiktok at london podcast so we can also we have our blog that we'll link in the show notes and there's uh, our email, which will also be in there. So yesterdays.london.times at gmail.com. So let us know your stories. We would love to take a look at those. Thanks for spending time with us here in the new year. And Mares, thank you for both a cozy topic and one that's also made us really think as we start off 2024. Well, you're quite welcome. And I just cannot wait to see what you're going to do with the underground coming, moving forward now. Get ready to hop on because we're going on a ride. <laughs> Find the gap. Thanks for listening and thinking along with us. We hope you enjoyed this segment of our journey. Our music is from the album Astral Gate, used with permission of the artists Lucas Perny and Miroslav Kolar. Audio mixing by DJ Kensington.